Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with a promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with EJ Wilson and Taylor Viplis for our weekly Ask EJ and Taylor show. Guys, how is it going for you? Hopefully everyone's shooken off that uh, terrible result from Saturday. Going pretty good. Good, Going pretty good. It's a hard time shaking it off, especially walking into the office where my boss is a Virginia Tech fan and he was just riding high on Tuesday morning. But uh, other than that, doing good. <laughs> in my office, we have a lot of Tar Heels, so it was kind of uh, something we're all in it together and hopefully it gets a little better. Yeah, it should get better this weekend. I mean, playing ECU that just lost to NCANT, if there was ever a, you know, get fix or a get right quick pill, hopefully the Pirates provide that on Saturday. But, you know, Carolina has been tripped up in Greenville in the past. So we shall see. But uh, as I mentioned during this podcast last week, this is going to be a very listener interactive based podcast. We're going to be answering the questions that we received off of the Inside Carolina Tarpit Premium Message Board. So let's just jump right into it, guys. And, you know, predictably, the very first question that we got asked you guys to give your opinions on what you think the current state of the program is. I think this has been a topic that's been bounced back and forth. We've we've talked about it on this podcast, other podcasts, just in general, really. So, you know, EJ, we'll start w- with seniority here, age before beauty after all. So, you know, if you're looking right now as a Tar Heel stand today, just what's your general opinion on how the, on what shape the program is in? I think the program is in a fairly decent shape. I mean, it, it, we, we can't, I can know coming off of last season and kind of the performance that we had last Saturday, it's easy for fans to look at it and say, oh, well, maybe the, the program's on a downward spiral, but I don't think so. If you look at the way our defense played and the toughness and the effort and tenacity that we played with, I think those are all signs of, hey, we'll get this thing together. I think, I know last year we began the season talking about uh, maybe some lack of effort things, but I, I think the program is in a very good space. Of course, everybody on offense, I mean, we replaced a lot of people, so people have to get that experience, and this experience you get in games that you can't get from training camp being up, being up on each other so I think that we're in a good spot I think there are a lot of uh, places that we can improve but I w- overall I was encouraged by the performance of course I, I would have liked the W and to see a little bit for better performance on offense but I-, I do think that we're in a good place we definitely uh we definitely have some improvements that we need to make but I don't think it's any time for, for panic all right Taylor what's your take man 
I'm not as optimistic as EJ. My, I'm, I haven't pressed the panic button yet, but my hand is hovering over the button. I think okay. it's a program that's kind of trending downward right now. You've lost 13 of your last 14 against Power 5 opponents. It won't count in that stat, but after this week, you have a, a slim chance beating a UCF team at home. Um, your current recruiting class is 56, and that will obviously change as the season progresses. But some of the teams that are in front of North Carolina right now are like SMU, North Texas, ECU, Duke, UVA. And I just think where where this program should be and where it's at right now, they're in two uh, completely different spots. And, you know, 0-4, your last four games against NC State and Duke. And I know NC State didn't look that good against James Madison, but I think if you're an NC State fan or a Duke fan, you're a lot more confident with where your team is at right now compared to North Carolina and what you saw the uh, offense do on Saturday. Yeah, I think that that's pretty fair. I, I'm kind of, I don't know, in between at this point. It's It's a situation where, like you said, Taylor, your, your hand is kind of hovering over the button there. But then, like EJ said, I think this is something that maybe there's been a bit of an overreaction to. You know, I, I seem to recall future number two pick Mitch Trubisky struggling in his first game of the season in 2016 against UGA. And, you know, I mean, sometimes Fedora teams just don't look that great coming out of the season openers but let's go ahead and move on to the next question where you guys were asked that in in basically with everything that's going on on campus both on the field and kind of the ancillary stuff how easy is it for football players to kind of tune that out and focus on the upcoming game and the person also asked how much the how much I guess stuff from the outside penetrates the the football bubble. So this is kind of the context of the Silent Sam stuff going on. I don't want to get into that. This is not a politics spot at all. But that's just what the the context was. So you know, Taylor, what was your kind of feelings on that? Do you feel that stuff that happens on campus does permeate into the football program, or do players in general do a good job of blocking all that out? I would say they do a good job blocking it out in terms of protests and thing like and things like that. While they may have an opinion one way or other or another, they've worked too hard to kind of put something in front of their ultimate goal and being the best football team that they can be. Now they hear that outside noise of you know people starting to doubt them, and I think that could kind of uh, penetrate into a locker room and then it's up to your leaders on the football team for kind of deciding where your season goes. Uh, two teams that I was on the team, um, right before the 2015 team, the 2014 team. Um, I think a lot of the negative stuff got into that locker room and, you know, started pulling people away and people ultimately started playing for themselves instead of for a team. But then in 2015, when, you know, not too many people gave us a chance, and especially after that South Carolina loss, everybody kind of rallied around each other. Because from the 2014 team to the 2015 team, there wasn't a huge talent increase. It was just guys buying in, believing in what we were all trying to accomplish. And, you know, that that went from the top guys all the way down to, you know, the scout team guys. 
everybody kind of bought in and tuned everything else out. All right, DJ, what about your experiences, man? Yeah, so for me, uh, I would have to agree with Taylor. I think that uh, it's up to the leadership on the team to kind of rally each other up and say, hey, we got to drown out all that extra noise and we have to focus on the mission that we started back in the spring on putting together a team uh, to win championships and be the best UNC Tar Heels that we can be. Um, From my experience, uh, we had a lot of different things that tried to come in and distract us, whether it be – the agent situation or people or the, the academic situation, you just got to drown that out. And that's where it comes in, in your position groups and your workout groups. You have to just focus up and focus on the task at hand. I mean, we, you always start out with the goal in spring and in training camp saying that, Hey, we're going to stick together. We're going to be a band of brothers. And I, I don't think that it will. I don't think that this situation will, will permeate in too much. Uh, I think that they will focus up and I, I think that they won't let it affect them because I mean, these are these are a tough bunch of guys. I mean, no matter what the, the performance said on the on the field Saturday, they blood they bled, they sweat, they put in all the hard work, and I don't think that they're going to let everything that's going going on on campus interrupt uh, or distract their focus from achieving their goal. Just real quick to, to kind of follow up here, you know, when when you're looking at a team like like this, where last year there were a lot of younger players that were forced on the field due to injury. That's something that both of you guys experienced during your careers at Carolina. Is that something that could actually turn out to be a positive for a team when those young guys are forced in the field and they carry that over to the next season? EJ, start with you for that one. I definitely think that's that's a benefit as we as we spoke about a lot. Uh, the more experience a person gets, the better they're going to be. I mean, those guys have to kind of step in uh, and lie bullets last season and probably be put in some positions that their uh, coaches may not have wanted them to be in, but they stepped up and they they handled the job. So I think that that's only going to make them better. May not maybe not immediately this season, but when they're put into those same situations either this season or later on in their career, they're going to remember what to do. They're going to be calm, cool, and collected, and they're going to. They're going to follow everything they've done in practice, all the hard work, all the film study. That stuff is just going to start to click because they got the jitters out last year. So I I think that that's a big benefit to the program. Yeah, reps, getting reps is always a great um, experience for for these young guys, especially. And, you know, you can only get so many mental reps in practice. And a lot of the times these guys need these game reps. And for some of the young guys last year, I think it was kind of like a wake up call for them. John Smith there, he was at a point talking um, this summer where he said that before Andre Smith got hurt, he was just sitting in the back, not really paying attention and stuff like that. So I think when Andre went out and Jonathan Smith was forced into playing, I think he had to do some growing up and saying, you know, I'm not being accountable. I'm not being the person that this team is expecting me to be. So I think a lot of those guys last year had the chance to grow up when uh, some guys went down with injuries. Charlie Heck is a guy that kind of comes to my mind right away for somebody who gets thrust into a starting position. And now he's one of the guys that you're looking to anchor your offensive line. So that experience always helps. All right, guys, let's take a very quick break here to talk about Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't make everyone too hungry. It tends to always just kind of get that craving going for me. I love Jersey Mike's just just full disclosure here. But if you are a UNC fan and you need a quick and easy delicious lunch or an easy tailgate option for your friends and family, I'm here to tell you that Jersey Mike subs of Chapel Hill is your place to go. Charlie Clinton Griffin are our guys at Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill, and they are all three UNC fans and local residents who love the heels. 
They have partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for the IC Podcast listeners. Right now, Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill is offering our listeners 15% off of their order with the code HEELS15. This is an online promotion only, so you can go to jerseymikes.com backslash order, select the location nearest you, click order, pick your favorite sub, at, and at checkout, enter HEELS15 and get 50% off of your whole order. So think about this. You're coming into Chapel Hill for a game with family or a group of friends. You place your order online. Stop at one of the four Jersey Mike's locations in the Chapel Hill area. Walk inside and grab your sub. It's a great option for tailgating, and it is very easy to do. You skip the line, head straight to the register, and you're on your way. Do it today. Place an online order at one of the four locations that I mentioned, three in Chapel Hill on Elliott Road off of MLK, and then at Falcon Bridge Shopping Center. And then there's also one in Hillsboro off of I-40 on exit 261. There's no denying that Jersey Mike subs are delicious, so take advantage of this deal and support the IC podcast. Now, both of you guys live outside of North Carolina, but if y'all make it down for a home game, you know there's a really great tailgating idea there for y'all. Chicken parm, that's my go-to uh, Jersey Mike's order. Definitely, I'm, a, I'm an Italian guy. I actually probably eat there two or three times a week, so I'm no stranger <laughs> to Jersey Mike's. <laughs> there you go. We'll try to, to see if they can extend a, a Virginia offer for you, EJ. Oh, that'd be great. There's that'd actually great. one right down the road from me, too. Nice. There you go. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like the IC podcast, all the listeners, 15% off. It's hard to go wrong with that. So let's go ahead and move on to the next question that we got, guys. And uh, this was kind of just a more trying to put yourselves in, in the mindset of a fan here where someone stated that they've been reading the ECU forum and, you know, ECU fans are is in a similar situation to the Tar Heel fans right now where they had a very lackluster performance. The defense played okay, and the offense was pretty bad for them. So you know, is that kind of a fair analysis that it looks like either one of the coaches for either ECU or UNC, their seats could be getting a little bit warm? Taylor, go to you for this one. Yeah, there are definitely two similar situations for how the teams kind of played last week. Both of their defenses gave them a chance to win, and their offense just kind of let them down, where they obviously differentiate. ECU is a bottom-tier FBS team, you know, both on paper and on the field, what we saw week one. And definitely both of these programs are coming from a place where their fans expect and kind of demand these better results. And they're both of their programs within the last two years since um, Montgomery got hired or whenever he came in, maybe 2016, both have kind of underperformed for those uh, standards that these programs have kind of set. All right, DJ, what you got there, man? I would have to agree. I definitely think that um, both of their seats are getting warm. Um, it, it looks like the same kind of thing. I know we were playing a high level of competition, but uh, to kind of speak to what Taylor said, I think that the expectations for the programs are different. Uh, at UNC, we've we, we've seen the success. We've seen what uh, what a Larry Fedora coach team can do. So he raised our expectations. So I think that um, I think that one, I think he will get it turned around. I, I hope he, uh, for his sake and for his job's sake, I hope he does get it turned around. But I, I definitely do think that the fans have a right to be let down now, and. Um, the expectations are are at a certain level that they've set. Uh, we expect a certain level of play from them. I don't think that we've been getting that over the last uh, last maybe season and a half. Uh, some of that's due to injury. Some of that's due to youth. But uh, overall, I think that uh, the seats are getting warm for both of those coaches. 
All right, so then let's move on to the next question here. This one asked, is playing an up-tempo style of football smart for an inexperienced QB? Uh, EJ, you know, you might have some limited experience on this, although you played some offense in high school, right, man? I was a quarterback in high school, and I played wide receiver my senior year, so I know a little bit about that side. (laughs) All right. So, like, um, in general, then, you know, what's your take on on doing an up-tempo style with with someone at the quarterback spot that maybe doesn't have as much live, live game experience as the coaches would prefer? I think the only way to get experience doing something is to do it. I mean, there's no need if he was picked to be the starter, if he's the one that performed the best, I don't think that you need to coddle him. I think that, yeah, it may be some bumps and bruises along the way, but the only way that he's going to get better and get used to that tempo and get used to those live bullets is to actually go through it. It's one thing to do it in spring ball and to do it in training camp, but until you're out there on the field against another opponent, that's the only way you're going to get better. So I, I don't, I don't think that they should, that should, change the offense or try to tailor it any different if that's what we run that's what we run and he earned the job running that offense so i i think that yeah i think that the up tempo is a good idea that like i said it's gonna it's gonna be a learning curve but i do i think he's ready i think he had a, just had a bad game uh saturday but i do think he's ready he showed us last year when he came in a few times that he's a very capable quarterback so um i don't think that the, his performance saturday tells the tale of how his season's gonna be All right, Taylor, you were fortunate enough to be at Carolina with the aforementioned Mitch Trubisky uh, catching passes from, you know, hopefully what turns out to be UNC's really first great NFL quarterback. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, you were kind of there throughout that regime change from Marquise to Mitch. So what's your take on that when when it comes to inexperience and that up-tempo Larry Fedora style? Yeah, I like the up-tempo style of play. I think Nathan Elliott just had an off game and, you know, the offense started getting behind and he started trying to force things and he wasn't really playing within himself. I don't think that was a tempo thing per se. I think that was just him trying to play this superhuman performance to kind of make up for some of the guys not winning 50-50 balls early. The running backs not, you know, breaking off a big run early. So I think he was trying to compensate for that. So I don't think it was a tempo thing. There was a um, a thread that Tommy kind of shared with everybody where I think the guy who ultimately wrote this thread kind of summed up the pace perfectly. He said, pace is designed to create a snowball effect in the defense, but there are some times when the snowball will run the wrong way. And I think that's what you kind of saw um, last year for North Carolina at some times. And you saw in the first half, cause you're, you're simplifying your offense to be able to get these plays in quickly. And you're, you're, banking on picking up a lot of the yards and then kind of flustering the defense. So, you know, that going, you know, that going in, but um, if you're not picking up much on first down and you're not flustering the defense, the tempo is working against you because they're able to recognize your plays more um, since you don't have this extensive play sheet. And that's when it works against you, especially if you're going three and out and your defense has to come out on the field and they're and they're getting tired and you know you they get off the field they finally get off on third downs because i think they held them to 23 percent uh third down conversions uh which was great for the defense but then you know they get a stop you put them back out three plays later they get another stop you put them back out three plays later and it's just unfair to the defense to kind of expect them to play at this high level when you're constantly putting them on the field and you're constantly putting them in bad spots. So I don't think tempo is bad per se with an inexperienced quarterback, 
I think just getting into a rhythm and getting off to a faster start will be uh, beneficial and just not turning the ball over like we saw on Saturday. Yeah, I agree with you there, Taylor. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question then. And this one's probably going to be a little bit divisive. And I don't want this to turn into a Butch versus Fedora debate. Lord knows we see that enough on the message boards already. But this poster wanted to ask you guys what your personal opinions were on the perceptions of leadership and discipline within the program during your respective times. And also wanted to follow up with that with your thoughts on why for the last seven years, so basically under the Fedora era, has UNC been one of the most penalized teams in the country and with seemingly no end in sight? So part number one, how was the discipline and leadership when you were a Tar Heel? And then number two, why do you think it is that the Heels suffer from penalties so often? And uh, Taylor, since you left us off on the last question, you can start this one, man. Yeah, I think when we played at Carolina, I think we had a leadership problem um, before that 2015 season. I wasn't there in 2012 when they did have a pretty good season. But I think we had players who had agendas, you know, kind of bigger than the team. And I think no matter where you are in life, if you have uh, these kind of personal agendas, your team is always going to suffer from it. So that's why I tend to think it's more of a player problem and not a schematics uh, thing. You know, after the game, Charlie Heck suggested they weren't mentally locked in to start the season, um, that California was more into it. And I think that's kind of inexcusable coming off a three and nine season. Everyone in the media kind of tells you you aren't worth a damn and, you know, you what more motivation do you need? It's it's a problem that kind of starts from the top. I think 2015, we had a great leadership group, guys like Landon Turner, Marquise, uh, Quinshot, Mac, Shaq, Jeff Schottmer, guys on both sides of the ball where, you know, we weren't the most talented team, but you never had a question, question effort, and intensity. And, you know, that's it's not a coincidence that that team has been the least penalized team under coach Fedora. And that was a team that like, we weren't even one of the most penalized teams in the country. We were towards the bottom half of the most penalized. And you could see it's a leadership problem. Cause I kind of have a problem with Malik Carney being a captain. I understand he's a great defensive player. I understand that, you know, he's a game changer on the defensive line. He had a great game, but you know, when you're a captain, you show what it means to be a leader on and off the field. And He's suspended for the next four games for breaking the team rules. And he's one of this one of these guys that you're looking to be a leader. So I think it is a, a leadership problem because especially he picked up an unnecessary roughness penalty, which is just a uh, a lack of focus and it's just selfishness. That's basically what it comes down to. They were the fourth most penalized team in twenty eighteen, um, this opening weekend, and they were the fourth most penalized team per game. Uh, last year in 2017. So I think you need more leaders to kind of step up, um, take pride in being North Carolina. And we have to see that on the field and in the locker room. All right, EJ, swing it over to you, man. 
I would say during my time there, the uh, the difference was when Coach Davis came in. Uh, he the first thing he did was he he talked to the people who were who were left over from that era who he thought could be leaders for him, and he got us to buy in, and that kind of trickled down. So we knew that hey, Coach Davis has coached on the professional level. He sent a lot of players to the professional level, and that really was our motivation. That if we listen to what he says, does go by his standards, go by his philosophy that we'd be able, we'd be, be succeed not only in college, but we'd have a chance to move on to the next level. But I do agree with Taylor. A lot of that is, is leadership. A lot of that is, is, is people stepping up and, and policing each other because a coach can tell you all day, Hey, this is what you need to do. You don't make these mistakes, but when you have a teammate that's beside you and you know, you're going to let him down. If you do something stupid, like an unnecessary roughness penalty or offsides thing, that's simple discipline, that's simple focus. And uh, yeah, to, to hear a player say that you weren't locked in for the first game of the season after the way everything went last year and the, how the off season was just so controversial with the whole shoe thing. I think that you have to focus in, you have to bring each other in and you have to go out there and, and play your best. Yeah, you may not win the game, but you can't also can't shoot yourself in the foot with these penalties. I think we had what maybe like I think it was 14 penalties for like 124 yards. I mean, that's 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 unacceptable. And it, it, it comes down to leadership, not necessarily leadership from the coaches, but leadership among the players. The players have to take ownership of that. And uh, it is a trend. It seems like that we are just every year, just more penalties and more penalties. I think that that's something they have to take upon themselves to correct. So EJ, when you were a player, you know how, how did the coaches handle uh, players that did make stupid penalties? How was that disciplined? In other words, it never got to the coaches. Uh, we we were fortunate enough to have a good group of leaders with uh, guys like myself, guys like TJ, guys like Jonathan Cooper. We had guys that we all policed each other. We all said, "Hey, man, this is this is not who we are. This is not how we want to represent ourselves on the field." Because we know we worked hard. We know that that we could do that. We didn't wait for the coach to come in and say things about ourselves. We had a lot of team a, a lot of team meetings where. We said, "Hey, this is this this isn't what we want to be. We're letting our coaches down. We we felt such a responsibility not only to ourselves to our coaches that we, we took it upon ourselves to make sure that those type of things weren't happening. If, if we're if our coaches are putting us in the right position to win, it's on us to take advantage of that and not and not make stupid mistakes. So, a lot of the times, uh, there have been times where we've gone to coaches and say, "Hey, I don't think this guy's focused or locked in. Uh, can we have a conversation with him?" So, uh, I think that. Uh, Coach Davis really turned a lot of the onus and responsibility over to the captains and the leadership among among the team. And it never really got up to the coaches. The coaches would come to leadership and say, hey, talk to the guys about that penalty. Or if on the sideline, if he's too mad to go talk to a player, if he felt like it was going to blow up and become a bad situation, he sent a player over there. And that usually worked better. I mean, I know for myself, if I got a penalty and I was down on myself, I'd much rather hear something coming from a, a player than a coach because, I mean, Coming from a coach, you just say, oh, is he disappointed in me? What is this going to mean for my playing time? Or what is this going to mean for the rest of the game? But if you got one of your own guys coming and say, hey, we got to do this better. We got to get it together for us. Then the message goes over a lot easier. All right, Taylor, what about you? Do you recall um, any instances where like the coaches had to maybe implement some running of stairs or any, any of those things that you often hear from guys saying uh, coaches are going to do to a player who makes a boneheaded decision during a game? Yeah, the selfish ones, that's when the coaches kind of would step in for uh, for our team at UNC. Um, penalties like unnecessary roughness or, you know, just any stupid penalties, not like a holding penalty. Like the penalty that Anthony Ratliff-Williams picked up in the game, you could live with those because he's being aggressive and he's showing an eagerness and a willingness to block. 
but the penalties where you know you're just making a stupid selfish decision that's the ones where the kind con- uh, where the coaches would kind of step up um whether it was coming in early in the morning and we also do after every game we do tarial circle where you kind of you're out in front of your whole team a player gets called into the middle of the circle and you know the coaches let you know how many times you let the team down and it's kind of something you have to announce to the team so it's kind of letting your guys know hey this is how many times i messed up and how many times i let you guys down and trying to instill that sense of accountability in everybody but kind of like what ej said it's something that the coaches really shouldn't have to be pleasing you should be taking this pride and taking it upon yourselves to kind of correct these errors because at the end of the day these are the things that kind of make the difference between winning and losing when you have so many toss-up games and your margin for error is extremely small all right let's take another quick break guys to talk about our sponsors from a way to go travel this is something that we cannot promote enough for everyone that's trying to go to away games this is the way to get that done have you always wanted to go to a road unc football or basketball game well now is your chance heels travel has partnered with inside carolina to provide an easy and simple travel for UNC away games. Chuck Joyce, the president of Away to Go Travel, is a Greensboro native and diehard Carolina fan. He wanted to create a better, easier, and more efficient way for fans to get to away games. So right now, Heels Travel is selling packages to get you to the Virginia game on October 27th. Day bus trips that leave from Chapel Hill and get you back safely once the game is over. It makes the process easy. You can ride with other diehard UNC fans and you don't have to worry about parking or even having to drive. So you can visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book. Also, Heels Travel is selling packages for UNC basketball teams' trips to Las Vegas over the Thanksgiving weekend. There's no better way to spend the holidays than watching the Tar Heels play two games in the desert and enjoy everything Las Vegas has to offer. That package includes a round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation from the airport to the hotel, and a three-night stay at the Aria Resort and Casino. So again, visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060. Now, I know personally that Virginia game is one I've kind of had circled. Uh, both of you guys are living you know, roughly that, that Virginia area. So, you know, Taylor, EJ, is that kind of one that if y'all had to go to an away game, maybe try to slide over there to Charlottesville for that one? Yeah, I have that game circled on my calendar for uh, kind of seeing where the team's at. You, you never want to commit kind of like this three, three and a half hour trip if uh, the team is really, 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 really struggling. But it's a thing that I think, you know, if Carolina shows that they could play uh, a good style of football, that I'll definitely be gone. Yeah, I think I may make the trip. For me, it's, it's probably only about a 45-minute trip uh, here from Richmond, and I kind of use that time to kind of uh, get together with some of my friends that uh, played at UVA. Uh, and it's also, that's my birthday weekend, so uh, nothing would do me do me more pleasure than to see us beat uh, UVA, something that I unfortunately didn't get the chance to do in college. Let's start wrapping up the pod by getting to our final questions, guys. So this one was a pretty interesting one, I thought, where given the new redshirt rules in college football, would you consider playing one of the freshmen at quarterback for the next three games? EJ, let's go and get your opinion first for this one. I don't think so. I think that uh, 
I think that Elliott needs to get to, he needs this experience. He needs to to go ahead and get those games under his belt. Um, to just to throw a freshman in there just for the sake of the red shirt rule, I don't think it would be a very good idea because who knows? Uh, Nathan could go in there and he could have really big games. Uh, these next three games, and we could really be talking about a different situation come midseason. Uh, we could have a, a situation where, hey, they they want uh, Surratt to get back in there, but this guy's doing a great job. So, I don't. I personally, I don't think it would be a good idea to bring him in. But like I said, that decision's uh, left up to the coaching staff and what they're seeing from some of the freshmen in practice versus what they're seeing from Elliott. I think you owe it to the team to play the person that gives you the best chance to win. And the coaches obviously believe that person is Nathan Elliott. So if you're playing a freshman just to play a freshman, you're kind of doing a disservice to the rest of the team, to the rest of the seniors who are trying to end this the best way. If you're putting someone out there who's not giving you the best chance to win. Now, if after four games, Chaz Surratt becomes the best person to give you a chance to win, then yeah, I think you go to Chaz Surratt. But if one of these freshmen, if the coaches don't think one of these freshmen gives you the best chance to win, it would be a hard move to make in a locker room when you know that the team has all uh, these different motives um, besides winning and they're trying to develop people. All right, so this was the final question that we had, and I'm going to say who this one was from because it's a big deal. We actually got a question from Mr. Ben Sherman himself, the managing editor of Inside Carolina. So Ben wanted to ask, what are both of your memories from playing in Greenville? What was the experience like, and how does the program and players view ECU? So let's actually split that up into three distinct questions. So first, uh, both of you guys, Taylor, you can start us off. What is your memory from playing in Greenville? That was my sophomore year, I believe. I didn't travel to Greenville So I don't really have the best answer for that. But I know um, from the people that I did talk to, it was not a pleasant trip. Uh, Their fans went into it expecting to win, you know, having guys like Shane Carden, uh, Isaiah Jones, um, Justin Hardy. They had a ton of NFL talent on that team. So their fans were probably more into it than they're going to be on Saturday. But it's a fan base that just doesn't like UNC football. So they'll still bring their A game. No, they they hate UNC. All right, well then, EJ, let's hear from you because um, I think you actually traveled and played in at least one game at ECU, right? Yeah, we had the chance to play against them while Chris Johnson was there, who really wasn't a big factor. But what I do remember is uh, as the bus was pulling into the stadium, their fans smacking the bus and shooting us the bird. And I, I from that at that point, I'd had a good experience in Greenville because I still tell people to this day is the best pregame meal I ever had. But it's a super hostile environment. I mean, they don't like us. We don't like them. Uh, feelings are mutual. But uh, I didn't. I mean, I, I won't say the fan, fans were too unruly. It was nothing more than I. It was nothing more than I expected. Nothing too outlandish. But it, it was a very hostile situation. So in general, and I want to get both of y'all's thoughts on here. How would you compare the ECU fan base to the UNC fan base? EJ, go ahead and start us off. I think that they're a lot more. They're a lot more outspoken about uh, their their dislike for you. Uh, I think our fans, uh, <laughs> our fans definitely support us, and they love the Tar Heels. But uh, ECU fans, they love uh, the Pirates. But they, I don't know if they love ECU more than they hate UNC. I think that's the biggest difference between their fans and ours. Taylor, what what was your experience, man? Their fans are uh, UNC fans are a lot more tame. Uh, 
you'll hear some words that you know you've probably never heard some insults uh some slurs going your way uh i remember going to one game and i forget where we were going maybe miami and that was kind of my first experience of you know fans that just did not like you so i can only imagine ecu where that becomes like times 100 all right, so then let's get to the final part of Ben's question here. How does the UNC program and players view ECU? Taylor, what's your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, regardless of the talent on the team, ECU, they're going to give UNC their best fight. Their players, they look at UNC and they see a program that overlooked them and in the recruiting process. And this game gives them the opportunity to kind of prove themselves. Just going through the recruiting process, you don't forget the programs that tell you you're not good enough or, you know, the programs that you didn't even get a response from. And I think you saw that this week kind of where ECU was on the flip side of that, where Tariq Cohen, who played for North Carolina A&T, was kind of going off and saying, like, ECU didn't respond to me and look at them losing now. So I think that's true for a lot of these people that play for ECU. A lot of these guys are probably guys from the area and local to the area where North Carolina, I think they recruit a lot more people out of the state. And, you know, UNC, I think they just look at it as, you know, where this ACC team, we're better than you, where ECU just, they don't get this respect and they're always fighting and, you know, clawing to get this respect from a big program like UNC. So they're going to give their best fight to North Carolina, regardless of the star difference when it comes to recruits or the talent difference on the field. They're going to they're going to bring their A game. All right, DJ, what what was the teams that you played on? How how did they view the the Pirates? Um, and then what was kind of your thoughts on their program as a whole there? For us, it was a game that we always circled on the calendar. I mean, just like Taylor said, a lot of those guys had resentment towards UNC because they felt like they were slighted and overlooked by uh, the program. But for us on the team, we we didn't we didn't we didn't necessarily overlook them. I mean, because a lot of the guys that played for ECU were teammates of some of my my uh, current teammates uh, from high school. So. Uh, there was a lot of familiarity. There was a lot of people that knew each other there. So, I mean, it was always a big game. It was always a game that we got pumped up for. We never worried about a letdown playing anyone inside of the state of North Carolina, let alone, uh, I think, uh, probably ECU and uh, NC State were the games that we looked uh, forward to the most because, one, we knew there were going to be the fans were going to be more hostile. We knew that there were gonna, there was going to be a certain level of resentment there. So we, we always circled it on our calendar. We always looked at it as a big game and just a chance to – we looked at it as a chance to kind of show our dominance amongst the state. We always wanted to be known as the best college football program in the state so we wouldn't dare uh, overlook ECU. And um, – I, I I don't uh, me personally I don't look down on that program because I mean they've had their 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 great times their great seasons just like we've had our great seasons their athletes are on scholarship just like our athletes are on scholarship we may have better players because of course it's UNC so that if you're choosing between UNC and ECU you're probably going to choose UNC but I really see that as the only difference I mean I, I didn't overlook them and I definitely wouldn't try to downplay that program I, I had we had a lot of respect for that program when I was there whether we beat them or whether they beat us there was always a, a level of respect there for that program so I was going to actually ask you guys that, you know, both of your teams experienced uh, losses in Greenville. How did the players feel after that? Did it hurt 
extra because you did lose to an in-state rival or did it hurt just as bad as losing to say like a Virginia or a Miami? I think it hurt worse because it's a constant reminder. I mean, if you, there are not a lot of UVA and Miami fans within the state of North Carolina, but no matter where you turn, you're probably going to meet someone who's an ECU fan. And once they find out that you play for Carolina, they're going to remind you about it. So uh, I know on that, on that bus ride back, I mean, I was just sick to my stomach, especially for how we lost the game in Greenville. I feel like that we kind of gave one up. So add that to the fact that we did lose to an in-state rival and something that we had to hear about until we played. And that was, I think, that was my sophomore year. And we didn't get another shot at them until my senior year. So that's two years just thinking about it, just knowing that these guys bested you. So uh, we had a chance to play them at home and we beat them. But uh, it, it's definitely, it definitely was a, a sick feeling in your stomach to lose to an in-state rival, especially someone who from, from, everything from outside looking in you think on paper that we were a better program and we felt like that we kind of let that one slip out of our hands yeah it's definitely a loss that stings more um you always place the an emphasis on controlling the state and losing an in-state game to a team that you kind of just overlooked uh it definitely stings and especially the way we lost in i forget what year it was uh 2014 it was back-to-back losses to ECU. They put up 70 points in Greenville and, you know, it felt like nothing you could do. It felt like they were just going to score on every possession. So it definitely stung. Um, You have a lot of these fans who kind of expect you to win and control these games. And then once you, once you lose those, it feels like you let every everybody down even more so than a loss to Virginia or a loss to somebody like Georgia Tech just because you're supposed to control the state of North Carolina and you let one slip. All right, guys, let's wrap this up with one final question. This is just from me personally. What do the Heels need to do on Saturday to avoid an upset loss to what is not a good ECU team? Taylor, going to go for you first. The first thing I would say, and it's kind of a key for every game, is where you are at in the turnover battle. Carolina's defense played great, but you know, you could ask them to create more turnovers, get an interception, uh, force a fumble. And then on the offensive side, it's protect the ball. Nathan Elliott threw four picks. There's a lot of throws that he wish he had back. Um, I think he just has to play within himself. And then for me, it's can anybody on UNC step up as an option in the passing game outside of Anthony Ratliff Williams? I think, you knew the problems going in with the offensive line. You knew the problems going in that you had at quarterback. But outside of Anthony Ratliff-Williams, I think you only caught like three passes. Um, Deami Brown had no catches. Thomas Jackson had no catches. Daz Newsom really hasn't shown he could be anybody in an offense besides somebody who's just coming across getting the jet sweep. Anton Green, he was somebody that the coaching staff was talking about. He didn't even record a snap this game you know I think the wide receivers have to create more separation make it a little easier on the quarterback and then I think that will kind of trickle down the rest of the offense I'm not worried about the defense especially with ECU struggles this is going to be how does the offensive how does the offense perform and if guys could kind of step up on that side of the ball 
I would say take care of the ball and don't uh, commit foolish penalties. I mean, I know that we started off slow on offense, but I mean, we had a chance to come back and we were shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, we have to play disciplined football. We have to play tough football. We have to play physical football and just control what we can control and don't make any other mistakes. We don't need to give uh, ECU anything. Uh, they're coming off uh, an embarrassing loss for their program. So they're going to be ready. Uh, and to add uh, fuel to the fire, I mean, they're pay- playing an in-state rival. And like we just mentioned, there's always a level of resentment there. So I think that we need to come out. We need to hit them in the mouth and we need to play disciplined uh, UNC football. I just want to add to that. Definitely getting out to a fast start, kind of like what EJ mentioned. The longer ECU thinks they have a chance in this game, the more their confidence is going to grow, the more the fans are going to get into it. So it's really key for Coach Fedora's offense to get out to a fast start, kind of punch them in the mouth and see how they respond. Not literally punch them in the mouth. That would be a selfish penalty. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Well, hey, look, there are some fans that that might actually watch, like want to see that happen and (laughs) probably applaud it. That's never a good thing, though. (laughs) I know. I mean – Hopefully this does not turn into a rough season, but guys, let's go ahead and wrap this one completely up now. Appreciate both of you guys being here for everyone that sent in questions. It was awesome. Thank you very much. Please continue doing that. Uh, As a reminder, we will be posting the thread asking for questions on Monday. So everyone has from Monday until Wednesday afternoon to get those in for this one though. We'll, we are signing off EJ Taylor. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie.